What's up, everybody? I'm Sarah. I'm Shauna. I'm Sam. And I'm Bobby. And this is Speaking of Murders. everybody to another episode of Speaking of Murders and welcome to all you new listeners out there. Before we get started on today's episode, a little bit of business. Um, we have two other shows, so you m- make sure you're checking those out. Speaking of Missing Persons and Speaking of Hauntings. If you want to see photos associated with today's episode, check out our socials. Those are linked in the episode and show description. If you want to support the show, you can do that by giving us five stars, leaving a review, share with your friends. If you want to do more than that, subscribe to our Patreon. That's linked in the show and episode description also, and you get bonus episodes doing that every other Saturday. You'll get, I mean, it could be any number of things. I think we've done cults, we've done werewolf trials, celebrity or murders around celebrities. We've got some other ones in the works that I'm pretty excited about. If you have a case you want to hear on the show, send that to our email, missingmurderedhaunted at gmail.com. And announcement, we officially started a YouTube video, so if you would rather listen to us there, you can find us there. It's uh, The channel is Missing Murdered Haunted, so make sure you check that out. Um, links will be up for that within the next week or so, but you should be able to just search us on YouTube and find us there. Did I miss anything? Uh, we also set up with Audible and Amazon Music. Oh, yeah, we're on Amazon Music and Audible now, so you can find us there. Or if you're recommending us to someone you know and they have that, they can find us there. So all of that said, Shauna, let's hear part three. Is it the final part? It is the final part. Final part of Jeffrey Dahmer. This one's... I'm going to try not to cry. Okay. Oh, real quick. I got to call myself out because I, I don't think I actually made mention of this anywhere else. Until you started telling the story, part one, two weeks ago, I legit thought he had an L in his name. So since I found out about him, I've called him Jeffrey Dahlmer, like D-A-H-L or L-H, whatever, Dahlmer. Yeah. Uh-huh. I had no idea there was no L in his name. <laughs> I feel like that's a common mistake with his yeah, last name. I it is. I think a lot of people say Dahl. Instead yeah. of Dahmer. Yeah. D-A-H-M-E-R. Mm-hmm. I thought it was D-A-H-L-M-E-R. Dahmer. No. But I just had to call myself out on that one. I legit thought it had an L. To be fair, so did I until I started doing this. So, I'm with you. It's good, <laughs> good to know had, I'm not alone. Smetha had no idea. Either way. I don't, I don't know. Okay. Where we last left off, though... Uh, Jeffrey Dahmer had told his probation officer that he hadn't spoken to his mom in five years, that he didn't want to go see his dad, Lionel, or his brother, David, and he oh, had... Yeah, for Christmas, right? Yeah, and Thanksgiving. And he basically had went on a killing hiatus. He was taking a break. Like, he, he told, told his therapist no. that? <laughs> I was, I was just say, adding like, that he hadn't, he wasn't killing at this point. Hey, Doc. 
<laughs> I'm not murdering right now. Well, she's not even a doctor. She's just, just a probation you know. officer. I wonder if the like client doctor like confidentiality. No, if you're murdering people, they can tell contact the, the authorities. Well, I don't for think that. lawyers can. I think lawyers have to like if it's your defense attorney and you're like, I did it. I don't think. Okay, but that's kind of different. That's kind of different. I was just wondering. But no, doctors absolutely and therapists can absolutely call the police on you. Well, if your lawyer is ethical in any way and you say, yeah, I did it. He will try to talk you into a plea deal or something. um, So we need to do a plea deal then. Okay. So we are going to start part three in February 1991. Jeffrey would start murdering again with a uh, man named Curtis Strotter. He was 18. Jeffrey met him while he was waiting for a bus. Jeffrey kept to the routine photos of the dismemberment. He kept his skull unpainted. His next victim would be Earl Lindsay, who is 19. He would be approached by Jeffrey April 7th, 1991. He was picked up near a key shop because... Earl was clearly trying to make a key. Um, Earl would be the first person Jeffrey would drill a hole into his skull and inject acid into his brain. Earl would wake up after what Jeffrey would call the drilling technique. Jeffrey would then drug Earl a second time before strangling him. Jeffrey kept Earl's unpainted skull. What okay. was the point of drilling the hole or whatever if he was just going to kill that, him anyway? You're right. And doing the whole acid thing if he was just going to strangle him. I think it might have been trial and error. I mean, that's what I, after I said it, I was like, okay, maybe he let him wake up for an extended period of time and like saw that how he was acting was like, mm, nope, that didn't work. He's experimenting. Yeah. To be fair, I actually think that it was out of more fear. Oh, like he strangled him out of fear? No, like he, he drugged him again more or less because he didn't want him to be mad at him. Oh, that's right. He's always terrified that they're going to be mm-hmm. upset with him. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's right. But it's unspecified, so speculate in which direction you want to. I mean, yeah, I forgot he thinks he doesn't like people mad at him. It's like he can't handle confrontation. So I'm just going to kill you. Yeah. So I don't have to, you know. Feel that disappointment coming off of you. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, fear, trial and error. Uh, I mean, it all could be true. Soon, the people that lived in the apartment complex would start to complain about a horrible smell and the sounds of falling, things falling, or the occasional sound of chainsaws to the apartment manager. Chainsaws? The Mm -hmm. occasional sound of chainsaws coming from inside an apartment. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, yeah, this is really fucking annoying. Him and his chainsaws. <laughs> like, <laughs> I really, uh, I think you need to go check it on that guy. Yeah. Yeah, but he could have just been building a bookshelf with a chainsaw. That is something you use outside. I know, but if he's not handy. <laughs> you're building a bookshelf with a chainsaw? Maybe he's just not handy and he, that's the only thing he had. So he's like, hmm. I know that's not what he was really doing, but I'm saying if you were his neighbor, I would think that he was doing something absolutely disturbing with the chainsaw inside of an apartment. And and people want to complain about their upstairs neighbors stomping. 
Or vacuuming. <laughs> My thought would instantly go to chainsaw carving. But again, like inside the apartment? I mean, it's not like he's got a, would still a be studio somewhere in the back of his apartment. Or outside of his apartment, maybe. I don't know. But that would still be concerning. I feel like I'm with Sam on this one. It would be concerning. Especially since this neighborhood is described as a bad neighborhood. No, I don't know. At that in like bad as in you're you might get robbed on the street or Yeah, I understand that, but a lot of times in like really bad areas, it doesn't matter what people hear no, or they ignore see, it. they ignore it and keep to themselves. Yeah, because they so, don't want to be involved in right. whatever messed up shit is happening. Well, I mean, people would complain eventually. Anytime the complaint would be brought to Jeffrey by the apartment manager, though, and by call, by brought to, I mean called, he would call Jeffrey and be like, yo, what's up? Uh, Jeffrey would give excuses such as his fish had died and he just hasn't disposed of them yet. That's where the smell came from. Or that his freezer was broken and all the food inside had spoiled. But never actually explaining the sounds, just the smells. I mean, fish tanks... Are so do free so are freezers if they stop working. Fish tanks are rancid, but I don't think they smell the same as something dead. No, except for the except for the fact that we will learn later that Jeffrey's apartment didn't necessarily smell like death either. Yeah, I could okay. see why it wouldn't smell like death, but it, it smell well. It's the it's the acids he used, which I know what they are. Again, we're not telling people what they are. But it was the acids he used that had the overwhelming smell and the uh, amount of cleaning chemicals yeah, it was he like, used. Well, it was more of a chemical smell than a dead body smell. And I think he was dismembering them and all of that like pretty quickly. He wasn't just letting uh, them rot uh, at the beginning. Uh, we'll get there too. People, I know what. The smell and stuff will be described later. Well, I know what it's not. It's yeah. not citric acid, because it smells citrusy and lovely. I'll tell you afterwards what it actually is. Um, he had always promised to take care of it, but never would, because that would require him to, you know, move dead bodies and things. May 4th, 1991, Jeffrey got asked by police that had knocked on his door if he knew anything about the murder of Dean Vaughn, who was 26. He was Jeffrey's upstairs neighbor in the apartment complex. Dean had been found strangled in his own home, which is crazy. Jeffrey told them he knew nothing of it and didn't hear or see anything. But, like, why Jeffrey? They didn't know that that was, you know, his M.O. at the time. But he didn't kill that guy. It's... Did it was he? it was speculated that he might have killed that guy. I feel guy. like he would have said it. Like he would have admitted it. I mean, maybe. Yeah, but you're right. He probably would have. I'm just throwing I mean, it I out there that it was speculated. The guy no, either. he wouldn't have just left the guy laying there. I think it was a totally different, probably. Ironic thing. Yeah. I was just telling you people speculate that his death was caused by Jeffrey because I'm assuming it's still unsolved. May 24th, 1991, Jeffrey uh, gave a note to a man named Tony Hughes, who was 31. Tony was deaf and mute uh, and was well known in the gay community around Milwaukee. 
Jeffrey had originally met Tony back in 1989 at Club 219, and that's where he would be handing him this note. The note was offering him 50 bucks to take pictures. Tony met the same fate as everyone else that went into Jeffrey's apartment, and his unpainted skull would be put with the rest of them. So he stopped painting them at this time. At this point. Yeah. He, he was just keeping them. Yeah. Jeffrey also kept Tony's body for three days before dismembering him. And that point is absolutely necessary to know. Now, here's the part that made me almost cry. Jeffrey met Conorak and... I'm gonna butcher this the fuck but beyond belief. Okay, so Synthomas phone. He was 14. He met, at, he met him at the Grand Avenue Mall on May 26, 1991. Conorak got the same offer as everyone else, and he took it. Little did Jeffrey know that Conorak was the younger brother of the boy he had ar- been arrested for molesting in 1988. Oh, shit. The one who survived. Yeah. The, the reason that he's on probation. Or whatever. Yeah, the one that he said he didn't know was 13 or he wouldn't have brought him back to his apartment. because he was so tall. Wow. And that's his The whole reason... Conorak is is that boy's younger brother. Yeah, because this is like years later. Yeah. He did that. uh, He was arrested in 1988, and this is 1991. It's a sad story. It really is, and it gets worse. Back at the apartment, Conorak took two photos was then drugged and had acid injected into his brain. Jeffrey moved him into the bedroom before he, like, completely went unconscious, unconscious, where he most likely saw the body of Tony, who was either on the bed or the floor, conflicting on where his body was. While he was passed out, Conorak, Jeffrey ran out of beer, so he went to a bar to continue drinking before stopping to buy more. While Jeffrey was away, Conorak woke up and left the apartment. He was seen by three women. The women called the police at 2 a.m. because he was naked and seemed incoherent. By 2.07, police and fire department paramedics had arrived they the paramedics had just wrapped him in a blanket and checked him over because he was bleeding bleeding from his butt this is when jeffrey returned and was now standing next to conorak the women that had called 911 were trying to tell the cops that they thought something was wrong and that the boy shouldn't be with jeffrey because when they had actually spotted him the blood was like dripping down his actual like balls at that point and they were they were genuinely just trying to help this boy the cops took that as them yelling and being belligerent so in response the the cops told them to butt out shut the hell up and not interfere those are exact quotes by the way while talking to jeffrey the cops were told conorak was staying with him as a guest for the night that he was 19 and his name was John Mong. He also told them that they had had a fight while drinking and he always acted like that when he was drunk. Jeffrey gave the police his own ID and that made the cops believe that he was being cooperative and had nothing to hide, so they literally wrote it off as a domestic situation. The three officers walked both Jeffrey and Conorak back to the apartment. While they were in 
there, everything seemed fine. Conorak wasn't trying to leave and didn't seem distressed in any way, so they left. What they didn't know was that on the bed or the floor was a dead body of Tony Hughes. And not only that, he wasn't acting belligerent because he had acid in his head. Right. He could barely even function. And and at this point, Tony was dead for three days when the when the cops did this. He had been dead for three days. After the police left, Jeffrey killed Conorak by injecting acid into his brain for a second time. Among other things he did to this boy, he kept his unpainted skull. The cops said that while they were in the apartment, it smelled like literal shit. Like someone had just rubbed shit everywhere. But they said it didn't smell like death, so there was no cause to search the apartment. Now I will tell you that these three officers got the most backlash from the community of Milwaukee and were sued. Heavily. Heavily sued. Well, yeah. I know, like, the parents especially, like... I could never figure out, though, like, why he would do it when his brother had done the same exact thing and ended up almost dying. Well, what, that boy was originally in foster care. Yeah, so the, was Conorak. Uh, right. So did he know? Did they have communication with each other? Yeah, I think they knew each other. Like, they were with each other in the same foster home. I mean, who really knows? He was, you know, what kind of good decisions did you make at 14? I played the fifth. Exactly. You can't blame Conorak for taking the I'm not the blaming deal. him. No. I'm just saying. I'm just saying you can't, like, take it like, well, why did he do that if his brother, because he's 14. 14-year-olds have no bearing on reality for real. I don't know. June 30th, 1991, Jeffrey would make his way to Pride in Chicago. Jeffrey would meet a man named Matt Turner, who was 20. Jeffrey would follow his routine. The two got on a Greyhound bus to head back to Jeffrey's apartment. So they went from Chicago to Milwaukee. What the hell? There, Jeffrey would drug him and continue with his horrible acts. Jeffrey would keep his unpainted skull, and his other body parts were put in the 57-gallon drum. Not even a week later, Jeffrey went back to Chicago. He walked into Carol's Speakeasy, a gay dance club. The Speakeasy would be where Jeffrey would meet Jeremiah Weinberger. Weinberger? Probably Weinberger. He was 23. He was also a regular at Carol's Speakeasy. Jeffrey offered Jeremiah money to go back to his apartment they would end up taking a Greyhound bus back to Milwaukee. How is he talking to these people into going from Chicago? Money. Money. $50? He started offering more at some point. I know he offered like one guy 300 at mm-hmm. one point. And he's offering some about. 100 I mean, and Robert Hansen was at least offering $300 before. I mean, not that they actually got it, but. I'm just saying he's he, money talks. That's why all those women were, like, so willing to go with him is because nobody was offering to pay that much money. Yeah, for the random shit he was asking for. Yeah. Jeremiah would last longer than anyone else would in Jeffrey's apartment. He would actually end up staying the night alive. Weird. Jeffrey said that the two of them engaged in oral sex on the first night and just hung out. Um, On... 
day two, Jeremiah told Jeffrey he wanted to leave, setting off all of Jeffrey's abandonment issues. Jeffrey fell into his normal ritual. He would use a drilling technique on Jeremiah, but instead of acid, he would use boiling water. Oh, my God. Fuck. I don't know what's worse. Yeah, I was literally going to say, I don't know which one would be worse. So, basically, he injected it once, and Jeremiah woke up, and then he did it a second time, which ultimately ended with Jeremiah falling into a coma and dying. Jeffrey would take pictures during the dismemberment process. Jeremiah's head went into the freezer and his body into the blue barrel. How many people does he have in this barrel? We'll uh, get to it. You will get to it. July. Like how big is his barrel? 57 gallons. And it's, it's literally sitting in the corner of his room also, if anybody was wondering. Ew. July 8th, 1991, at Jeffrey's probation meeting, he told Donna he was getting close to being fired from his job. Because I will tell you that while uh, he would take, he would literally call in for the dismemberments of these bodies. He would take a whole day. He would take off work to do that? Not take off work, he would call in, which was a bit different. If you're just going to take days off, jobs are a little bit more lenient than just calling in so he was calling in like every four to five days yeah which is why he was getting close to being fired he said that he was either late or never there a lot of his were spread out though yeah i know but the one two he still had a dude when he took the yeah he dismembered them at the same time yeah he literally just saying that's probably what did it is the calling in back to back? I don't know. He's I don't know. Like, what excuse would you give your boss over I'm and sure over I'm sure the one that he again? gives Donna over and over and over again. Okay. Can't come in. Got a case of the poopies. <laughs> he said because of the, because of that, committing suicide wouldn't be a bad idea. So at this point. Oh, so now he's. Claiming he's going to commit suicide. Well, this entire time, he's basically had really bad depression. That's how he comes off to others, is having extreme depression. He also... Just for listeners out there, Samantha rolled her eyes so far back into her head when Shauna said that, that I'm surprised they came back to the front. Yeah. I'm just telling you what was No, we know that. I'm just saying... I know, depression is no reason to do any of this. Neither is abandonment issues. Get a dog. Or a cat. Okay, or maybe a not. therapist. Or Both. All three. Get all three. Maybe not a cat. They abandon you a lot. <laughs> no, get a dog. Dogs love you. Dogs will love you till the end of fucking time. Get a dog. Um, he also stopped paying attention to his sexual problems due to boredom of the subject. Donna told him he needed to start paying closer attention to it because it could lead to problems. Sorry, it's just you're you're yeah, missing there, all the that problems. Lady. Yeah. Already had the problems. You're already missing all the problems, Donna. July twelfth, nineteen ninety one, Jeffrey met Oliver Lacey, who was twenty three. Around the corner from his apartment is where they met. Oliver was invited back to Jeffrey's apartment for money. He agreed, but told Jeffrey he was on his way to his cousin's house. Like his cousin expected him to be there. Once he was in the apartment, Oliver 
at some point was given a drug drink. His heart was kept in the freezer while his head was put in a box in the refrigerator. What's in the box? That's a sad movie. Yeah, that was about... No. <laughs> Mm-mm. What's in the box? That was... That's that's a horrible movie. What did you just say to me? Not like Seven. horrible. Not like horrible. In, it's, a bat, like, like, it's like horrible, horrible as in, in gut wrenching. Gut wrenching. Like oh. it's okay. Okay. Yes. Like it gives you horrible feelings. Yes. Uh, yeah. Okay. But, but now that's all not... I'm imagining Jeffrey Dahmer's house being like is the movie Seven. Oh uh, yeah. Ugh. Good movie. It will. You it know what? I've actually movies. seen this one. I've actually seen this one, so yeah, it's it a good movie. It's just gut wrenching and it really sad. Is. And I know. Gross. It breaks down. And it's like, what's in the box? I'm just like, fucking Kevin Spacey, you bitch. Exactly. July fourteenth, nineteen ninety one. Jeffrey was fired from his job at Ambrosio Chocolate. Surprise, surprise. When he called off yet again to spend time with his grandma, he actually had an excuse. She was in the hospital. Yeah, well, oh, he probably so his used last, his that legitimate excuse. excuse. Yeah, well, he probably got used that excuse like 25 yeah, times Yeah, they're like, already. how many grandmas you have, Jeffrey? You know, he should use, like, better excuses. Like, I saw a horse giving birth and I had to pull over and help. Or a skunk got under my house. Why did that immediately make me think of <laughs> Freddy Got Fingered? Yeah, okay. Moving on before we get on that tangent. <laughs> <sighs> okay, anyway. Donna told Jeffrey she could try to help him get his job back, but no promises. Well, I mean, Donna didn't know. She only knew what <laughs> Jeffrey was telling her, so. I know. Jeffrey was also talking to her about how he didn't want to show up for the appointment with her because he hadn't showered and showered or shaved in three days. Yeah, three well, days prior, wait. he had killed Oliver. Okay, but you can't he was in feel the that bad for her because she wasn't going to his damn house. I know. She should like have been. she was supposed to be. Yeah, she was supposed to be. I know, because she was terrified of the neighborhood. Yeah. Then So he hadn't showered or shaved for three days because, because he had a body in his bathtub. He had yeah. Oliver in the bathtub. That he hadn't dismembered yet. I think he was in the process. He was just taking his time. Yeah, because at this point, he's getting lazy. Um, I see. Complacent. He's yes. comfortable with what he's doing. I, yeah. I will tell you after the fact, Aaron, I read parts of his confession, and the dismemberment process for him was long. Oh, like a ritual yes. kind of thing? And I'll talk about it afterwards. <sighs> a little bit. I'll talk a little bit about it. Jeffrey would miss his next appointment with Donna on July 17th with the excuse that he had overslept. Instead, he would show up the next day with a gross outer appearance. Like Donna said, he was disgusting. He hadn't showered or shaved and his clothes were even dirty as hell. Like she could see that they were disgusting. He was upset because he was about to lose the Oxford apartment because he couldn't pay rent. Yeah, and Lionel's not helping him still at this point, right? He's on his own. Yeah, no, Lionel hasn't been helping him. Can you imagine if you were about to get evicted and had and had all of that in your house? Like, no. Yeah, yeah it would be can't a terrible... can't call a moving company. Um, 
like I said, I'll talk about parts of his confession because it, it really sheds some light on some of this stuff. Like, sheds light as in makes it worse. Uh, she gave him information on emergency housing through, like, the Salvation Army and told him he needed to focus on finding a job. She told him things weren't that bad. That would be the last time she would see Jeffrey before news broke about what happened, what he did. You know, could you imagine looking at Jeffrey Dahmer and being like, things aren't as bad as they seem? Oh, and you don't know. know. I know. It's still just... The irony is there. Yes, I understand what you're saying, but she was completely clueless. I know. She should have been. Exactly. She wouldn't have been clueless, and it wouldn't have went as long as it did if she was doing home checks. Like she was supposed to. Right. And I understand that. This would, uh, okay, so July 19th, 1991, Jeffrey would pick up Joseph Braidhoff, okay, Joseph Braidhoff, who was 25 on a public bus. Joff- uh, Joffrey, <laughs> here we are. Joffrey. <laughs> Joffrey. He's an asshole. Jeffrey saw Joseph had a six-pack of beer with him, so he turned to his routine. Joseph was kept on Jeffrey's bed for two days. And I will tell you something that I did not add. He was dead for two days on Jeffrey's bed. Like, normal routine, he's dead. Um, What I will tell you is Jeffrey had him covered with a sheet for those two days. And when he pulled it back, disgusting as it may be, uh, Joseph was covered in maggots in Jeffrey's bed. And I bet you he still slept there. Probably. Jeffrey kept his head in the freezer, and the rest of him was in the 57-gallon drum. Now, buckle up, because this shit's about to get weird. Weird? It hasn't already been weird? By weird, I just mean I hope that uh, my point comes across the way it's supposed to, like that that I told it correctly. Oh, my God. Tracy Edwards would be at the mall with two of his friends on July 22nd, 1991. Jeffrey walked up to the three of them and would offer $100 to take, offer them $100 to take naked pictures, drink, and just keep him company at his house. So he was trying to pick up all three of them. He wasn't. Just one of them. Just one of them. And it really shows because, again, I didn't add it, but I'll just disclaimer it here. Tracy Edwards was the one that agreed. And when he got there, he was expecting his friends to show up, but then he assumed by the point that they never did that he, Jeffrey, gave them a completely different address. Okay. Um. So, Tracy agreed. Tracy said the apartment smelled horrible and there were boxes of acid on the floor. Like, boxes of acids he need needed to do what he was doing he told tracy though that he used those clean bricks what okay uh, jeffrey's full of excuses uh jeffrey asked tracy to look at his fish tank like hey bro look at my fish tank and as tracy turned his head to do so jeffrey put a handcuff on one of tracy's wrists they always try that jeffrey was unsuccessful at getting the other wrist cuffed though Tracy willingly walked into Jeffrey's bedroom to take pictures, hoping he would, like, it would get him out of the situation. Like, he was hoping that the more cooperative he was being, the better it would be for him. 
Uh, inside the bedroom, the exorcist was playing on the TV. While Tracy was on Jeffrey's bed, Jeffrey would pull a knife out and press it to cha- Tracy's chest as well as take out one, taking out one of the skulls from his closet and rubbing it while telling Tracy he would also stay with him forever. Uh, no thanks. So that's what it was. By killing them and keeping their skulls, he was keeping them with him. Yeah, they could never yeah, leave. they could okay. never leave. Yeah, okay, and like I said, after I get done telling you this story, I will tell you parts of this confession, and the skulls will be brought up in that. There was a couple reasons. Well, one in particular Jeffrey talks about of why he kept those skulls. After five hours in Jeffrey's apartment, Tracy would end up getting an opening to punch Jeffrey in the face. He About then, damn time. He then kicked him in the chest and got out of the apartment as quickly as possible. Fuck yeah. I can, like, uh, Tracy said, like, it said that Tracy used the bathroom as an excuse. Like, he went to the bathroom, came back out when Jeffrey wasn't paying attention, asked to go to the bathroom again. And as he stood up, that is when he punched Jeffrey in the face because he wasn't paying attention. At 11.30 p.m., Tracy found two police officers. They noticed the handcuffs uh, hanging off the, Tracy's wrist, and Tracy, like, was trying to explain to them that they weren't put on, like, consensually and right. was asking if they could take them off. And at first, I will say that the police weren't, like, didn't, like, believe Tracy, but he had convinced them. They tried their key, but it wouldn't work on that brand of handcuffs. So the the officers offered to take Je- uh, Tracy back to Jeffrey's apartment to get the key. Uh, no thanks. I'll live with these handcuffs on for the rest of eternity, but thanks for asking. Tracy agreed, and the three of them walked back to Jeffrey's apartment together. Mm-mm. Nope. Uh-uh. You know what? If I got the cops with me? Nope. Uh-uh. I might. Well, not after they, no, like, no, they handed the other kid back to him. No, he didn't, yeah, know, he didn't that. know that. Jeffrey invited all three men inside with no explanation of why he put cuffs on Tracy in the first place. He just completely was just like, never happened. He was just pretending it never happened. Tracy then told officers about Jeffrey pulling a knife on him in the bedroom. In the apartment. Like, brave soul. Brave soul. Jeffrey had no comment on that either. He just told the officers where the key was, which was in the nightstand drawer by his bed. Why? What is wrong? I think he wanted to get caught. I feel like he did too at this point, but at the same time, he had to make it look like he didn't because one of the officers went to grab it, and Jeffrey quickly tried to step in between him and the door like, no, 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 I'll go get it, I'll go get it, and the, the officer's, like, partner yelled at Jeffrey to back off. Like, quote, back off. So Jeffrey let it go. As soon as the officer stepped into Jeffrey's bedroom, he saw the knife Tracy was talking about just laying on the bed. He then, in like, walked over to the drawer to get the key to which he found horrible photos of dismembered bodies. I was going to say, all the Polaroids. He grabbed some of the photos to show his partner in the living room and was, quote, saying, these are for real, like handing them to him. Jeffrey then tried to fight the officers, but they got, got him to the ground and handcuffed his hands behind his back. And at this point, it said that one officer was literally just sitting on him. You know how they do. They yeah. Were like, yeah. Okay, that's how Jeffrey was. Um, And they, 
immediately called for a backup car, right? Yeah. Okay. One officer, the officer that had grabbed the photos and the key or whatever, had walked to the refrigerator to open it and found a freshly severed head on the bottom shelf. At this point, Jeffrey was, quote, saying, for what I did, I should be dead. Like, he wanted them to kill him. Pretty much. In the apartment, they found four severed heads, seven skulls painted or bleached, two human heads and arm muscle uh, by two human heads. I, I think, oh, it's hands. Two human hands. Like a, no? <laughs> Hold on. Severed heads, two human heads. I think that they, it's meant like um, not in the fridge or anything, just just there, a, like preserved. Oh, so like he he uh, like actually taxidermied, basically. I'm assuming that. that's what that meant. So four severed heads, seven skulls, two human heads, and arm muscle. Remember the bicep. Mm-hmm. Two entire torsos, which were in the freezer. Two human organs, two entire skeletons, a pair of severed hands, two preserved penises, a mummified scalp, and in the 57-gallon drum, there were three more torsos decomposing. So there were three. And 74 Polaroid pictures detailing the dismemberment process of these people, these men. We're almost there, Sam. I mean, could you imagine? What, no. like, like you said, what if Tracy would have been like, "No fucking thank you, don't take me back there." Yeah, they would have w- never found. He would have just kept on doing what he was doing. Yeah, so I mean, hats off to Tracy for being like, "Okay, I'll go." Being with able you. to escape and being strong enough to be like, "Okay, I'll go back there with you," because yeah, they the cops would have never went there if no. he wouldn't have. And to be the officer that opened the fridge, like, oh, he, they, these officers were probably, or had to probably take therapy. Like, I could only imagine. I couldn't even imagine opening a nightstand drawer and seeing Polaroid photos of just dismembered bodies. You know, 74 Polaroid photos. Yeah, Yeah, I know. I keep getting chills over here, too. Makes you sick. I will say that I am thoroughly impressed with this court system, though. And we'll talk about it. July 25th, 1991, Jeffrey was charged with four counts of first-degree murder. And on August 2nd, 1991, he would get 11 more. So, 15? 15 of 17 killed. And I will explain why we get to the number that we do at the end. September 14th, 1991, Stephen Hicks... Stephen Hicks's hundreds of bone fragments were found in the backyard of his old his family home so he would also be charged with first degree murder in ohio so that's 16 in total of 17 now the 17th victim remember he said that he woke up and found him dead yeah they said that they couldn't charge him with his murder because there was no uh they couldn't find a cause of reason like there was still doubt that he was the one that actually murdered him it's like only speculated that he did because they were together. I mean, I think it's I think safe it's, to yeah. assume at this point. Yeah, but even Jeffrey, who admitted to all 17 
all 16 of them, couldn't remember if he had done it or not. Like, what happened that night? Right. So they said that there there was reasonable doubt to believe that he didn't do it also. You know what I'm saying? So he got 16 counts of first-degree murder in total. January 13th, 1992, Jeffrey pled guilty with insanity for 15 counts of murder in Milwaukee. They let him plead with insanity? That was his preliminary hearing, so yes. On February 17th, 1992, Jeffrey Dahmer would stand before the judge at his sentencing. Now, I will tell you through the trial, which I don't really talk about, they proved that he was sane. Yeah, I was going to say. They proved that he was in that he was sane, which Jeffrey thanked them for, if that makes sense. He's like, okay, I'm just fucked up. Like, it's not because I'm insane that I did this. It's just me. I'm just fucked up. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, he was, he was, he didn't. I'm laughing at Samantha's facial expressions, just so you know. He was taking that as him, like, uh, taking responsibility that it was just him and there was no underlining cause to why he did what he did. If that makes sense. No, like, I read you loud and clear. It's just, okay. It doesn't change anything. No, it doesn't. And I'm not saying that it does. I am just saying that is why he wasn't, that's why he was thanking them for proving that he was saying. Was so that he could personally take responsibility for what he did. Which he also says before this judge that he didn't murder out of hatred. Yeah, I mean... That he didn't murder anyone because he hated them. No, he just didn't want them to leave. Right. So, February 17th, 1992, Jeffrey Dahmer would stand before the judge and and acknowledge what he did was horrible, saying, I know my time in prison will be terrible. I deserve whatever I get because of what I have done. Thank you, Your Honor, and I am prepared for your sentence, which I know will be the maximum. I ask for no consideration. Again, I'm not saying it's right. I'm just telling you the story. Jeffrey was then sentenced to life in prison plus 10 years for the first two counts, with the remaining 13 counts carrying a mandatory life sentence plus 70 years. So he got, got, uh, what? 15 life terms plus he pretty much he's yeah. going to die there. Yeah. Right. He was allowed to spend 10 minutes with Lionel and Sherry before they took him to the prison. He gave them a hug and wished them well and walked away. May 1st, 1992, he was charged in Ohio for Stephen Hicks murder, which again, I feel like was just redundant. And he got a life term there too. So he got his 16th life term. Jeffrey, go ahead. I mean, I know that it seems... I get it, but... It's for the family, not for the justice system, really. It's just just so the family can be vindicated that he was found guilty for murdering their That's not what I was calling redundant. What I was calling redundant, why Ohio wouldn't just let Milwaukee charge him with the 16th count. they can't. No, it has to be... It has to be wherever it was done. That's why so many states were fighting over Ted Bundy. Right. And no, Florida wouldn't let them have him because they wanted to put him to death. Right. So he didn't get charged with any of the murders anywhere else. Well, they actually, like, 
took him to Ohio. It also, I left this out too, in Ohio, it only took 45 minutes for them to come to a verdict of a life sentence. So well, yeah. But Jeffrey would spend the first year in solitary confinement as an effort to keep him, like, away from the general prison population. It makes sense. Then he was transferred to a less secure unit where he got two hours a day where he, like, basically was on work. Uh, like, what's the... Yeah, they get a job. Yeah. So he, inside the prison. But for two hours a day, Jeffrey got to clean all the toilets. After his confession in 1991, he had requested a Bible from the um, officer he had confessed everything to. November 28th, 1994, Jeffrey would ultimately be beaten to death by another inmate in prison with a metal bar. Now, this inmate would say to the guards, because he confessed this to the guards, that Jeffrey didn't make a sound or fight back. He just laid there and fucking accepted being beaten to death. As he should have. Now, that, that's the end. Jeffrey's dead. But at, I told you that I would discuss parts of his confession. Now, the dismemberment process, he would put them in the bathtub and basically, like, you know, cut them open like if you were doing, like, a biopsy. And then he would start to remove... You mean an autopsy. An autopsy, <laughs> basically. Yeah. Okay, yeah, an autopsy. My bad. He then said that a lot of times blood would pool in like behind all the organs and the chest cavity. So then he would hang it to let the blood come out of the torso. Gross. After pulling out all the organs. Now, that's pretty much the dismemberment process on a lot of things. He then, you know, whatever. But the skulls, he was going to make his own personal shrine out of them. Yeah. And he that. had he had a whole fucking plan. He wanted to put a black table uh in front of his uh living room window with black shower curtains because at the time blackout curtains weren't a thing, so he wanted to like black out the window. He wanted like a blue like light behind it. He wanted a skeleton of on each side. That's why there was two. Um he he needed to, f like, start this project of his. He needed Tracy's skull and one other, bringing it to a total, he would have had nine. And he wanted to put a black leather chair in front of it so that he could sit there and meditate. Okie dokie. That so is he why was he was keeping the skulls. Planning out his interior design around his killings? Yeah. I've heard some stories say that he had some of them in his glass coffee table. Like, if you sat on his couch, he had one of those old school 90s, you know, yeah. like the one in 16 Candles where you can get trapped yes. underneath it. And there were skulls. That's where he would put skulls and bones. And I know a lot of the skulls hung out in the top of his closet. Okie dokie. Oh, All and right. I figured out the exorcist thing, if you want to know. Because he would play two different movies. I know that one was The Exorcist and another one was a horror movie back in that time. There was lots of horror uh, movies yeah. back in that time. So Poltergeist? No. So it was The Exorcist and another one, but he was he said that uh, he felt like he was the bad entity in those movies. So he related to them. Are we sure it's not The Exorcist? It's not The Exorcist. 
not I didn't entities because the exorcist, but I will I'm just saying. That is why he had the exorcist playing most of the time. Because he thought he was a demon? No, because of well if you were murdering people, wouldn't you think that you had demons too? I guess. So he related to, to the, the bad guy. To the demons in the scary movies? I guess. Was it Friday the 13th because of the mommy issues? <laughs> I mean, that would make sense. Oh, that's why. It's not actually a scary movie. Uh, Dahmer strongly identified with the villains in The Exorcist 3 and Return of the Jedi. What? That That is what he... This is he when this is being talked about. It's being talked about with a um psychologist, proving that he wasn't insane for court. So he was either playing the Exorcist or Star Wars. Yeah, Return of the Jedi. All right. On that note, I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed it, let us know. Leave us five stars. Leave a review. Share it with your friends, your family. It helps us get out to more people. And check out the socials for photos. Make sure you're checking out the Patreon so you can get bonus episodes. Sometimes they're murders. Sometimes they're missing, haunted, cults. Aliens. Aliens. We cover all kinds of stuff on there. So make sure you're getting subscribed to that so you don't miss out on those. And uh, Cryptids. If, uh, Like I said at the beginning, if you have a murder that you want to hear about on this show... Email us. Send it to our email, missingmurderedhaunted at gmail.com. Any final thoughts, anybody? No. Glad that's over. Same. Same. I'm done telling it. I'm done reading about it. I don't want to think about it. It was all gross. All right. Make sure you come back next week. Bye. 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 Bye.